Good morning, everyone. Great to have you here on a beautiful Sunday morning. Couldn't find more perfect day, so glad you chose to spend a little bit of that day here with us this morning. Before we jump into the message, I want to highlight for you something we've been drawing attention to all summer long, and that's our Anne One campaign. It's uh, You'll see these cards out on the wall in the back, and uh, for those of you that might not have been here, just want to tell you a little bit about this. About a month ago, we announced that we are going to be launching a third service this fall. In order to take that step uh, to create more space for people that God's bringing to us, we need to add about 75 new volunteers. And so on that wall is lots of opportunities for you to serve. And so if you haven't already done so, I want to encourage you to take some time. Go take a look at that wall if you're not already serving. About two-thirds of our church is serving already, so there's a large number of you that are not serving. And if you've been here and God has been at work in your life and you feel like you're at a place where you are able to give, that's what serving is all about. Serving is all about giving. So it's not about receiving. You receive some benefits, but it's about giving and saying, God has been at work in my life. I've seen God do all the remarkable things that we've been singing about this morning, and I want to give to others. Well, if you look at that wall and you say, I'm not really sure where I can serve or what I can do, just take your uh, communication card on the back side. It says serving. Just check that box, and one of our staff will get in touch with you, arrange a time to meet with you, talk about some options, give you a chance to test drive some different areas, see what might be a great fit for you. You know, one of the cool things I've observed as we've been going through this process is I watch some of you who've been sitting here worshiping with us for several years and you decided, now's the time for me to get in the game. Now's the time for me to give to others. And so it's exciting for me to see those of you that are interested in doing that, and we're praying for more of you. So if you have questions about this, um, our staff will be out there. Look for the ones with the little silver uh, nameplates on there. They'll be wandering around the lobby. They can answer questions for you, and we'd love to get you plugged in in that way as well. Well, revenge is rarely sweet. In fourth grade, Doug Sutherland was the opposite of everything that I was. Doug had long, shaggy, blonde hair. I had a short, bowl-cut red hair. Um, Doug was uh, the good athlete in any sport. I was hoping just not to get picked last, as I was one of the smallest kids in the class. Uh, Doug was well-known and liked by all. He had lots of friends. I was known by all, but the like being, being like part of the equation, I really wasn't sure. He did not wear glasses. I did. Um, he even made school uniforms look cool, and I looked like a kid in school uniforms, you know. Um, we, had, uh, we had mock elections in 1976, and in that small conservative uh, Christian school, you can guess who everybody voted for in 1976. Not for the peanut farmer from Georgia, but guess who voted for the peanut farmer from Georgia? Doug did. He and one other kid, only two of them, and they won the election, and still he was the most popular kid in the class. Well, Doug picked on me on a regular basis, and we would call that today bullying, but it wasn't called by those terms in those days. And he did it enough that he got in trouble with the teacher and eventually the principal. And the principal cautioned him. He said, Doug, one more time, and you're through. One thing I was good at was setting a trap. <laughs> and so I set a trap for Doug. And um, Doug didn't realize it. We were around the corner. I was baiting him, and I didn't actually know this part, but the principal was walking down the hall, and we were just around the corner. And I baited Doug, and Doug took a swing at me. Fortunately, I ducked right as the principal walked around the corner. And I can still hear these words today. 
the principal saying, Doug, you are gone. That's what happened. And just like that, he was gone. I can tell you a few other things about fourth grade, but not many incidences will I remember in that precise detail as that one. And while revenge sometimes seems to be what's most important, it's rarely sweet. It's rarely sweet. You see, I just wanted Doug to stop picking on me. I wanted him just to leave me alone. And probably deep down inside, even though I didn't know it at the time, I probably wanted Doug to feel a little bit left out and a little bit mistreated like I felt. But I really didn't know how to make that happen. I was just trying to get even. And this morning, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the subject of revenge. We're going to talk about getting even. We're going to talk about paybacks and While you might not have a revenge story in elementary school like I do, I'm pretty confident that in this room this morning, every person has been hurt, mistreated, bullied, been treated unfairly, pushed around, mocked, verbally berated, physically mistreated, or abused, even sexually. I'm confident that nearly all of us have faced this in our lives. And when we face these things, we do different types of things. Sometimes we want to just absorb it. And we say, it's really not that bad. And we tell someone else about it, and they gasp. And we're like, why did you gasp? And they said, how could, how could someone do something like that to you? We try to bury it. It gets buried in our memory. It gets buried in our hearts. It actually gets buried in our physical body. You know, your body doesn't ever forget those things. They have studies now done on the body and the brain called body memory. And your body remembers those things, especially abuse when it occurs. And it can cause us to pursue a life to either avoid situations like that where it could happen again or try to control our lives and not let anything get out of place because we don't want to experience that kind of pain again. And we live a self-sufficient, self-protective way of life relying completely on ourselves instead of God in our walk of life. And today we're going to continue our story looking at this guy by the name of Samson. And as we look at Samson's story, we're going to explore and watch what happens to a man driven by revenge and look at where it leads him. Because revenge puts you on a path of retaliation. Um, There it is. Revenge puts you on a path of retaliation that does not end. And it leaves you isolated and alone. Revenge puts you on a path of retaliation that does not end. It leaves you isolated and alone. And our series is entitled, Never Forget. Never Forget. We're looking at a series of incidents that happened to the people of Israel several thousand years ago that God left for us so we would not forget what these experiences were like. And someone asked me recently, they said, why are we in the book of Judges? There's a lot of bad stuff. Can't we find a good place to go in the Bible? Um, That's what someone asked me recently, and I said, well, I think the book of Judges has some relevant to where we live today, because we're surrounded by a culture of where that's pretty inviting. It's pretty inviting. It's very inviting to have financial comfort, and it's very invited to have some pleasures, you know, and what's wrong with partaking in some pleasures, you know, some food pleasures, um, some weekend pleasures, vacation pleasures, maybe viewing pleasures, spending pleasures, We want to do it as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Is there any reason we can't do this? We still have to come out to church occasionally and have our God peace in our lives, but we just want to enjoy the smorgasbord of life that's out there. 
And many of us have come from a faith experience and a faith culture that says all these things are bad and evil, and if you touch them, like in the Garden of Eden, you're going to die. And we realize you won't die, but these things just fill up our lives. And if somebody said to these things, these were idols or these were little gods, we might stay away from them, but nobody tells us that. They're just called fun, enjoyable things. And who would deny themselves of these things? People of Israel were the same way. They came to this new land, this new place, and there's all these goodies to try. And they tried them all. And they realized it wasn't what it promised. It didn't deliver what it said it would offer. And then they would cry out to God, and God would send a deliverer, a rescuer, one to save them. And he'd bail them out, and then it would happen again, and happen again, and happen again, and happen again. And they got so used to being involved in this process, they actually got comfortable with all the bad stuff. You say, what do you mean they got comfortable? Because in the story of Samson, the people of Israel never ask for help. They never cry out to God. They stopped. They were so integrated in the culture of that day. They were so merged in the culture of that day. They didn't even realize it was slowly killing them. And into the story comes this guy by the name of Samson. If there was ever a guy with promise, if there was ever a guy with pedigree, it was Samson. From the time that he was born, his birth was foretold, his future was mapped out to him. It was said of him, this, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines, the current nation who was ruling over them. There was just one problem. The Israelites liked being ruled over by the Philistines. They said, that, this is nice, we actually like it. They were a benevolent dictator and they didn't want to upset the apple cart. And God said, but that's not what a relationship with me is all about. It's not what it's all about. In Judges 14, verse 4, his parents did not know this was from the Lord, meaning his actions that we talked about last week, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. Nobody else was confronting the Philistines. Nobody else thought there was a problem except for God. Everybody else said, it's fine. It's fine, it's fine, it's going to be okay. And God said, it's not okay. And so what God did is God chose to tap on the shoulder and use an egotistical, um, self-absorbed, incredibly powerful and strong, rebellious to authority young man. Kind of sounds like God's chosen man, doesn't it? Doesn't it? But God says, I want to use that guy. I want him to accomplish something that no one else could accomplish. And last week we observed that if you follow your emotions, uh, they will result in a train wreck. And the train was starting to lean off the tracks a little bit last week. And this week it's going to derail. And we're going to see where that takes us. If you have a Bible, turn to Judges 15. Judges 15. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one in the seat rack in front of you. It's page 203 or, or open up an app on your phone. If you have one, a Bible out and follow along. Judges 15 is where we're going to be. And um, just to recap a little bit of the story, Judge Samson, this uh, incredibly powerful guy, we saw last week that he was able to, to tear a lion like you would a young goat. We didn't have anybody who had ever done that before, so no idea what that means, except it means you're pretty powerful. And uh, we're going to see more evidence of that in his life this week. But Samson had found a woman he wanted to marry. And so he, he found this woman he wanted to marry. He was going to go down and marry her. Um, the wedding party, he made a bet with the wedding party. And he said, if you guys can't solve this puzzle, then you're going to pay me. I'm getting a set of clothes from each one of you. 
He says, if you solve the puzzle, then I'm giving everyone in the wedding party. And there was 30. That's a big wedding party. Um, I'm giving every one of you a set of clothes. And he knew he had them. They couldn't figure it out. They could not figure it out. And so finally, they come after his fiance, his bride-to-be, his soon-to-be wife. They threaten her life. They blackmail her. They say, if you don't get the secret from him, we're going to kill you. And we're going to kill your family as well. Well, she starts wailing and crying and eventually wears Samson down. He gives the secret. She gives the secret to the bridal party. They come and tell Samson. Samson is not very happy. And he goes and wipes out 30 people and takes their clothes, strips them naked and gives them to these guys. And it says in the end of the story that he was burning with anger. I mean, this is a guy that just got betrayed by the woman he was going to marry. And he's burning with anger, and he said, I'm going home. He walked out, and he left. And what Samson didn't know is this next verse. His wife was given to one of his companions who attended him. One of the guys in the bridal party married his wife. He didn't know this happened. And so that's where our story picks up. In chapter 15, verse 1. So in chapter 15, verse 1, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson took a young goat and went down to visit his wife. And nothing says, um, I want to make peace with you in a romantic peace offering like a baby goat, does it? You know? No wonder Samson was successful. He took a baby goat to her to ease the, ease the tensions there. You know? Um, but it says that he was going to go be with his wife. He was going to go be with her. Now, we don't know if the explosion, the conflict, if that happened before the ceremony, after the ceremony. We don't know any of that information. Just to be with his wife is he's going to be sexually engaged with her. And his dad says, uh, not so fast. We kind of got to have a little conversation here about something that took place. Father says, I was sure you hated her. That's not a bad assumption, is it? She just betrayed you behind your back to the wedding party, and it's not a bad assumption that he hated her and wanted nothing to do with her. So the father's not too far off there. He says, so I gave her to one of your buddies in the wedding party, and by the way, how about option B behind door number two? Isn't she a little bit nicer? Samson wasn't really thrilled with that option. He really wasn't thrilled. Because look what he says in the next verse. He says, this time, what does he say? Read this with me. I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Wow. I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Um, remember the key phrase in this book? The key phrase in this book is everyone did what was what? What's that word? Right in their own eyes. What does Samson say? He says, I have a right to get even with them. Isn't this what we tell ourselves when we've been hurt? Isn't this what we tell ourselves when we've been taken advantage of? When someone promises us something at work and then they do the exact opposite? When we've been mistreated, abandoned, wounded, abused? I have a right to do what? I have a right to do what? What does he say at the end of the verse there? He says, I will really harm them. He says, I want to make them pay. 
I want them to feel some pain for what they have caused me. I want them to get a glimpse of this. Is that really possible? Is it really possible? You know, when we get back at someone, we just want them to feel the same degree of pain we're feeling. But the truth is, it's not really possible. It's not really possible. Is it possible to make your parents hurt as badly as what they did to you? Does withholding a relationship cause the same amount of pain as what you've been hurt by them? It doesn't. It doesn't. When someone abuses you verbally, relationally, sexually, can you cause that same amount of pain that you've experienced? No, you can't. You can't. But revenge is trying to cause the same pain you have experienced, except there's one problem. Revenge puts you on the path to retaliation that doesn't end, and it leaves you isolated and alone. It leaves you isolated and alone. And so what is Samson going to do? What is Samson going to do? Well, it goes on to tell us in verse 4, he went out and caught 300 foxes. Um, now, I was thinking about this. This would take a while. This would t- I mean, you're just not going to go scoop them out of, you know, you know, this takes a while. Greg, who was leading worship up here, when I first met Greg, one of the things Greg did in this area is he trapped fox all over this area for a lot of the farmers. And, uh, and early on when I met Greg, I remember walking with him. I don't know if he remembers this event when we walked the trap lines. Uh, do you remember when we did that, Greg? He probably, he's not even sure. He doesn't even remember. So, uh, but we, I walked with him to check. We rode around, checked a bunch of the traps. It was early on a Sunday morning. We rode around, checked a bunch of traps, see if there was, see if there was a fox. He caught 300 foxes. That's a lot of foxes. And I was thinking, now he's got to have a pen. He's got to build a pen, got to keep all the foxes, you know, somehow keep them all fed and alive in there. Caught 300 foxes. Then what does he do? He ties their tails together. I don't know how you do this. I, I really, I mean, these are creatures that kill things with their teeth, you know. But somehow he ties them together, and then he put a torch in between every single one of their tails. I mean, they're not all lined up in a nice, okay, you guys line up in a nice little row like kindergartners, you know, in school. You know, that's not what, they're going everywhere. They're going everywhere. What's he doing? I just thought of the amount of time. This guy, he's burning with anger. He finally gets his anger. He comes down. He finds out his wife is getting, and then he goes, this guy, he is just, the anger is just ready to explode in him. And then what does he do? You remember what time of year it was when this happened? The very first verse? It was the time of the what? Anybody remember? Wheat harvest, right? The wheat harvest. So what does he go and do? He lit the torches, let the foxes loose, and the standing grain, he burned the shocks, the standing grain, together with the vineyards and the olives. He burned everything in sight. He just burned it all down. You know? Mel Gibson and Danny Glover couldn't, you know, blown up enough stuff and burn things down like this guy did. He just burned it all up, you know? He was so mad. He was so furious. And the Philistines said, who did this? Who destroyed all? I mean, literally all their crops are gone for the whole year. And in that culture, you didn't go to the store and buy new crops. When you lost a crop, you lost everything you had to live on and your seed crop for the next year. You lost everything. And you didn't know if you would survive. You would, you, usually you would sell yourself to be someone's slave so you would survive if this happened. That's what you would have to do. You'd have to be an indentured servant. They said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the, son, the Timnite's son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So what did the Philistines do? They go burned his, 
wife and his father. Talk about the cycling continue. It just goes on and on. And then Samson then said, since you acted like this, I swear I won't stop until I get my what? Revenge on you. He's going down this path and he can't stop. It's going and it's going and it's going and it gets worse and worse. And revenge puts you on the path of retaliation that doesn't end and it leaves you isolated and alone. And so what does Samson do next? He attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. He just wiped people out. We don't know how. We don't know what happened. He just killed a bunch of people. Again. Again. Revenge puts you on that path of retaliation that doesn't end, and it leaves you isolated and alone. And so the Philistines, they're, they're like losing their mind. They're like, okay, this guy just wiped out all our crops. Now he wiped out a bunch of our people. So then what the Philistines do is they go to the Israelite leaders, and they took a bunch of men up there. They said, well, we're going to fight the, we're going to fight the Israelites. And so they brought a bunch of people, and the, the people of Judah, the Israelites, are like, wait, 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 we, we, we like you guys. We, we don't want to disrupt the apple cart. Remember, we like things status quo is what we really, really like. So why are you here? We don't want to fight. And they said, we just want Samson. We want to do to him as he did to us. Remember what does revenge say? I want to do to you what you did to me. That's what revenge says. So then 3,000 men from Judah went down the cave and they said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines are the rulers over us? Again, I think this points to what I said earlier about the, the Israelites being very happy and content with status quo. They loved the fact that the Philistines were ruling over them in spite of the fact that it violated everything God said about the way that they were supposed to live in relationship to God and following God. They were very happy and content to let someone else rule over them and be in charge. And they said, what have you done to us? Samson said, I just did what they did to me. That's all I did. I just wanted them to feel a little bit of the pain of what they did to me. And they said to him, We're gonna, we come to tie you up. And Samson says, okay, you can tie me up, but just don't kill me. Now, this is kind of weird. I mean, this guy, he's wiped out all their crops He's killed a bunch of their people, and he's like, sure, you can tie me up and hand me over. Just don't kill me, Just don't kill me yet. It, it really doesn't make any sense. I don't know if Samson wasn't thinking properly. I mean, he's kind of acting like a testosterone-filled high schooler, you know, that's just running on his emotion and adrenaline. That's kind of what he's acting like. And I realize they don't, when you're at that season of life, you don't think properly. I understand that. But um, Samson says, don't kill me. And they're like, okay, we won't kill you. So they tie him up and they take him to the Philistines. And as they take him to the Philistines, as he approached, they're shouting. They're like, yeah, here he comes. We got him. We got him. But then what happens? The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. And we've seen this happen the last couple weeks, the last two weeks, where the Spirit of God shows up and he tears a lion with his bare hands. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he kills these 30 guys and takes their clothes to pay his debt. The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. It says the ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. I mean, they became, these are fresh ropes they wrapped around him. 
So kind of imagine being wrapped up in a fresh, brand new rope. And you know what it became like? It became like a paper chain that you make at Christmas and hang on your Christmas tree. That's what it became like. And he went, whoop. And he was free. And he was free. He grabbed a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Bones, when they're fresh, are not hard and brittle. They're not dried in the sun, and so they're soft. Not as dangerous, but he still took it. And look what it says. He killed a thousand men with the jawbone of a donkey. A thousand men. You know, I think of Gladiator with that sword. What did he kill? 20, 30 guys, you know, but a jawbone of a donkey, and he kills a thousand men. This guy is almost like indestructible. He's like some form of a metahuman, you know? They can't tie him up. They can't pin him down. And anybody who gets near him, he just wipes a whole battalion of soldiers out. He seems indestructible. But where does revenge lead you? Revenge leads you down a path of retaliation. And it leaves you isolated and alone. And so what does Samson do? Samson says, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. <laughs> That's a little mockery there, isn't it? You know, I've made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I've killed a thousand men. And you find yourself wondering, when is this going to stop? When is this going to stop? How is this ever going to end? Because it seems like they're on this path, they're on this track, and it just keeps getting worse. It just keeps getting worse. Because when you head down the path of retaliation, it doesn't end, and it just leaves you isolated and alone. And that's where Samson ended up. He ended up in a cave all by himself, and um, says he was thirsty. And he cried out to the Lord, you've given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst? Now, let me ask you, what age is our people who usually complain of dying of thirst? What age? Kind of give me an age. Five, six, right? Okay, this is a grown man complaining of dying of thirst. What would you say to him if he said he was dying of thirst? You'd say what? Go find some water, right? But he's complaining to God. He's complaining to God. He says, God, I'm going to die of thirst. I'm going to die of thirst. And if I don't die of thirst, I'm going to fall in the hands of these uncircumcised Philistines. Now, granted, he was the number one most wanted guy in the land. But still, he doesn't really seem like he really cares what God wants, does he? It's almost like he's using God for his own means. But remarkably, um, God opened a hollow in the place and water came out of it. And you're like, God, why do you keep bailing this dude out? Why do you keep bailing him out? And the amazing thing to me in this story is that um, God shows up even when we mess up. God shows up even when we mess up. When we make bad decisions in our lives, when we choose a path that's far away from God, Sometimes we think God doesn't want anything to do with me, but God keeps showing up. And that one of the points in this story is God keeps showing up in this guy's life. God keeps showing up. And God keeps using this guy in spite of his bad behavior. In spite of his bad behavior. But just because someone's acting badly doesn't mean 
that God's really powerfully alive in them. Just because someone's doing the work of God does not mean the fruit of the Spirit of God is at work in their lives. Um, you know, Samson was a guy who was consumed by his emotions and he was driven by revenge. Consumed by his emotions and driven by revenge. And revenge just keeps going and going and going with little end in sight. He was completely focused on doing what was right in whose eyes? His own eyes. His own eyes. And causing others to feel the pain and harm that he felt. And as I challenged you last week, it's so easy to look at a guy like Samson like this and, um, and to say, how could someone do something that bad? And we kind of say, how could someone do something that bad? But the truth is, there's a little bit of Samson in all of us. And it's hard and painful for us to admit. Because while we might not go, wipe, go out and wipe out a battalion of men um, or destroy someone's crops and fields, have you ever done that about someone's reputation or their character? You know, all it would take is one lit fire, one foxtail lit, right? And it would, could have torched the whole thing. James says that our words, our tongue is powerful like a what? Like a fire. And one word said to the right person in the right place can affect someone's character and their reputation. And you just want them to feel a little bit of the pain that you have felt. And so while it's easy to look at Samson and say, how could we? It's hard for us to look at ourselves and say, how could I? How could I? You know, what do we do with revenge? What do we do with it? Some people um, bury it. You know, we just bury it. We say, it's no big deal. We deny it. People mistreat us. They do bad things to us. They've harmed us in our past. And we just say, it's, it's in the past, I'm going to leave it in the past, and I'm not going to deal with it, I'm just going to ignore it. And I hate to tell you, but the past resurrects itself regularly. It comes back up, and it keeps coming back up in new and different ways, creative ways. You can't bury that stuff. You can't bury it. You have to deal with it. You've got to get it out. Another thing we do with it is we blab it. We blab it. When was the last time someone wronged you? And as I wrote this, I felt guilty because I just did this. When was the last time someone wronged you? And I didn't post it on social media, but, um, or you all would have known about it then. You'd be like, John, why'd you do that? I can't believe it, you know. But when was the last time someone did something wrong to you and you told someone else the story? And you didn't tell the story because you said to them, I'm not sure what to do and I don't know how to navigate those walking. You told someone else the story because you wanted someone to say, how could they, why did they? That's awful. That's what we want them to say, right? They shouldn't have done that to you. You want some sympathy. You want some empathy. And how different is what I did to that person's reputation than what Samson did to the Philistines' fields and the people that tried to attack him. One last one that I don't have on here. How about be honest about it? How about be honest about it? 
We talk about that a lot around here because it's hard for us to be honest because we think there's something wrong with being honest. So what do you mean, be honest about it? Well, part of when these things happen to us is to be honest about what they did to us, the effect that it has on us. That was hurtful. I felt rejected. Why did they abandon me? Be honest. Don't say, how could they? That's disbelief, and disbelief is never honesty. But just be honest about it. And being honest about it is the first step to choosing a different path other than retaliation. Because if you choose the retaliation path, it's never going to end. It's going to leave you to a place where you're isolated and alone. But there's an alternative path that you can choose. And that alternative path begins with being honest about what happened. And then choosing a different way. Paul in the New Testament talks about this when he's talking about how do we respond when people have wronged us. And he says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. He first says, don't repay anyone evil for evil. So don't try to do to them. What did Samson say? I'm just doing to them what they did to me. That's all he was trying to do. So don't try to do to them what they did to you. He says, don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, this is God speaking, it's mine to avenge, I will repay God says, would you be willing, instead of you choosing the path of retaliation, to leave it in my hands, to entrust it to me, to trust that I'm a just judge who's always going to do what's right and best, and somehow, in some way, in this life or the life to come, justice will be served. Do you think you can trust me to do that? That's what Paul invites us to consider. And Peter later talks about Jesus' example, and he talks about Jesus when he was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, did he do anything to deserve being on the cross? Yes or no? No. He was on the cross for sins he did not commit. It was an injustice. And what did he do? He committed no sin. And no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults, he did not, what? Retaliate. When he suffered, he made, what? No threats. Instead, he, what? Read this with me. Entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He chose a different path. Samson's path was one of retaliation that was never going to end and lead him to a place of isolation and being alone. And Jesus chose a different path. He chose a path where he chose not to speak. He chose not to retaliate. And he chose to say, I'm going to trust myself into the hands of the one who's going to take care of this justly. Justly. God goes one step further. He doesn't just say, leave it to God. He doesn't just say, leave it to God. He says this. He says, if your enemy's hungry, what does he say? Let him starve, right? He deserves it. Is that what he says? No, he says, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, tell him he's going to die of thirst, right? No. What does he say? Give him what? Something to drink. Something to drink. 
I will add a caveat here that's saying in some situations where there's been extreme abuse and mistreatment, it's not appropriate to engage in that relationship. But in some situations, God places us in places where He says, they need something. And you have the opportunity. You can withhold or you can give. What will you do? You can withhold or you can give. And He says, if you choose to give, somehow, in some way, Burning coals on my head would not feel good. I don't know about you, but that would not feel good. It would be painful, right? Can we all agree to that? So if I don't withhold and I instead choose to give to someone who doesn't deserve it at all, somehow God will bring about some level of pain and discomfort in that person's life that will be justice served. He says, don't let evil consume you, but overcome it with good. Revenge puts you on a path to retaliation. It doesn't end. And it just leaves you isolated and alone. And when you've been wounded, hurt, betrayed, abused, the plans and the dreams, the hopes that you had for your life, they may have been shattered your heart may be deeply broken and your life may be going a way that you never envisioned it going. In the midst of all of this, what is God saying? What is God saying? He's saying face the pain. Don't ignore it. Don't minimize it. Don't deny it. Don't bury it. Be honest and truthful about it. Turn it over to God and let Him right the wrong. And when appropriate, return good to those who've done evil to you. As we close this morning, I want to invite you to listen to a song um, that I think says what God is inviting. And sometimes, Lord, we take those things in our own hands. And God, we just want you to show up and make them feel some kind of pain, some kind of discomfort. And uh, Lord, it's hard to trust. It's hard to say, I'm not going to take this into my own hands. And Lord, maybe as I've been speaking today, some have been listening and they you've brought situations to their minds that they have taken into their own hands. They might have not actively gone after someone, but they've withheld relationship and they've given them the cold shoulder, they've cut people off. And, um, and they did it because they wanted revenge not because they're trusting in you. 
So, Lord, for those that need to just say, God, I please forgive me for this. May that be the prayer of their heart this morning. Brothers, Lord, that this message has pushed stuff up that's been buried. I pray that you would give them the courage to be honest, the courage to face it, the courage to walk into it, knowing that you long for them freedom and peace and hope and not a fear, hoping no one will bring that up at the next family gathering. Lord, whatever our story is, whatever our journey is, um, there's no accidents, there's no mistakes. And in each of these, God, you long for us to be drawn closer to you. And so make that the prayer of our heart. God, we need your help to do this. We can't do this. We can't do this on our own. In your name. So what would it look like to trust and not retaliate? What would it look like to put yourself into God's hands instead of trying to make others?